welcome to How Fitting, the podcast about creating fashion and growing a business that fits your customer, your lifestyle, and your values. I'm your host, Allison Haynes. So today I'm joined by Dana Todd of Bella Dana. So welcome to the show, Dana. Hi, it's great to be here. Yeah, for those listening who are just meeting you for the first time, could you share a little bit about who you are and what you do? Absolutely. So I am a, I call myself a a recovering CMO or chief marketing (laughs) officer, because I left the world of corporate and marketing and digital marketing, well, not completely, but I left it as my primary title uh, in 2018 when I started working on my company, Balladana which is uh, an online marketplace for custom-made clothes. I spent my whole life in digital, actually the the bulk of my career as a digital marketing professional and digital creation specialist. So I had a digital agency for many years. I've had a couple of startups. I have a patent for search engine optimization technology. And Mm -hmm. so for a long time, I I mean, my whole life has been very tech-focused. And so now I'm bringing that tech focus over to try to disrupt the manufacturing side of things to create more options for on-demand manufacturing and more specifically custom versions of on-demand. Wow. Yeah, that's so cool. Um, so you, your, mar- your background is kind of in tech and marketing. So yep. what kind of brought you to fashion? Like, why did you decide to you know, like you said, leave that as your title and take on founder of a a fashion startup here? Well, honestly, it was because I was so frustrated trying to find clothes to fit. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, the more I dug into why don't my clothes fit, right? Because I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm an average body. I'm probably a little heavier now than I was at the time I started this. Um, But I, you know, I'd always been a pretty fit person. And when I was younger, I didn't have any problems. And little by little over the years, I just kept noticing like, "Hmm, things aren't really fitting. And the things that fit are not particularly flattering. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a limited set of styles and everything starts to look the same. And I was like, you know, as someone who, especially as a woman in business and a woman in tech business, you have to look amazing and powerful and creative and all these things and I was really forward fine. thinking and exactly yeah. yeah and it and you need and at least you can't look frumpy right things have to fit you so it it was really frustrating to me and I was like well this is just weird like I'm literally walking out of you know Nordstrom and Macy's and all these higher end department stores with you know thousands of dollars unspent going what is going on here and when I started digging into it I found two things one I wasn't alone I did some preliminary research and found that 75% of women of all ages, all body types are struggling with fit right now. So Mm -hmm. between size guides and the non-standard standards of manufacturing and the fact that we are being heavier as a population in America, it's just creating a perfect storm. And secondarily, what I found is that underneath all of this is ultimately a technology issue. So for me, I was like, aha, <laughs> aha. The world's um, combined. Exactly. And I magically found on Etsy um, a Romanian designer. And I was working at the time for a telecom company that was run by a Romanian. So it was a weird coincidence for me. And I, I'm one of these people who believes in signs from the universe. And she was making amazing fashion forward clothes that could be custom made to measure. So I was like, wow, why, why isn't this something that we can find every day here in America? Why, why do we have to struggle through Etsy, which is such an abysmal experience? And, you know, why, why can't this just be the way things are done? And mm-hmm. so with that in mind, I started creating Balladana. Cool. Yeah. And, and I totally agree. I believe, I believe this, the statistic about, you know, over 70% of women struggle with fit. Cause I mean, with my job as a pattern maker, you know, fit is maybe I would say the biggest thing that I'm yeah. always working on yeah. is making things fit. And it makes a huge difference. And, and when I wear things that fit me and when I see my clients actually try on something on their fit model or themselves or see it on their customer when it actually fits, like, it's a big deal, you know, <laughs> of like how you feel and how you look and just, you know. 
And isn't that sad that we should be moved to emotion now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> when something just simply fits, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it seems the least to ask of our clothing. Really, it does. Yeah. Yeah. So you said you did some research before kind of starting all of this. What was some of the things that you looked into? And um, like, who did you talk to in that research? Was it kind of potential customers or more just the general market or the technologies or yeah what were some of the things that you looked into all of the above I, I don't I've, I've learned my lesson on startups I, I didn't do on my second startup I didn't do enough customer research to understand some of the big obstacles but this mm-hmm. time I went out and I actually did a national survey I funded a poll to find out and it was very specifically targeted at women over I think we ran that between 18 and 55 or 60 something like to get a get a broad sense of women and Mm -hmm. we asked about all kinds of things and what we found in that first group and then we redid it again in 2020 added some more questions and ran it against both men and women to find out and what we generally found out was that about 10% of the population has had custom clothing. With men and women, it differs a little bit. With men, they're more likely to have had um, custom workwear made. And for women, they're more likely to have had custom special event, like you know, a prom dress okay. or a wedding dress mm-hmm. or something that's you know, a special occasion type of outfit. They're, they're not as often or possibly a suit, right? So it's more traditional segments of of custom made and what I didn't see at that time was a lot of adoption of just sort of day-to-day wear or day-to-day work wear and mm-hmm. but what made us feel good is that a 10 percent of the population already had experience so we didn't have to educate them on the value of it right we just had to get them over the next hurdle secondarily mm-hmm. we found that they would pay a premium for something that's custom anywhere I think women were actually able they said they were on average comfortable paying up to a 50% premium for something custom. So we knew, yeah, that we that's knew that decent. We, that's, that's significant, very significant because when you're in custom, it doesn't, and, and there's a, I think there's a myth out there that all custom is very expensive. So people are like yeah. ridiculously surprised when they see our prices because our, our marketplace business model is very different from retail. So the prices that you see are the prices set by the makers themselves. I don't do a markup. So I just take mm-hmm. a commission. So it changes the pricing model altogether. Whereas in most custom experiences, you're having to pay the overhead of a single brand and all of their expenses. The marketplace, similar to an Amazon or an Etsy, really takes advantage of those marketplace economies of scale and mm-hmm. lets everybody kind of play on equal footing and and set this way it also gives them the lion's share of the price tag so they can pay their people better right or use mm-hmm, better fabric mm-hmm. so it's important to us the third thing that we also found in this is the another thing is that oh custom takes months and months and months again based on bridal and suits and these mm-hmm. higher end categories then yeah they do take a lot longer because you're typically working in something bespoke which is a very different category than what we're representing and we found that on average they were willing to wait between two and three weeks which is perfect because that's about what our averages are so all of that really helped us set the ground rules around how we were going to operate and what our sweet spot was going to be. Yeah, that's super valuable information and like getting to know the customer and the market and really what made sense for the business model. Because I think that's something that sometimes um, brand founders that have that come from a more traditional like fashion design background um, get caught so caught up in the design that that research at the business side of things, you know, suffers. And it sounds like maybe in a previous startup, you jumped to kind of the product and and, and skipped over some of the research too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. We made what we thought people, it is. Well, a lot of times when you're making stuff and if I'm a maker, I'm, I love to just make stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I can't sew, by the way, I'll put that out there. I cannot sew. <laughs> But I do like making customer experiences and custom software. And so it's hard to just not want to go make your thing, you know, make your baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the same way, I think a lot of designers struggle. They, you know, I've seen some folks bring, it's interesting to watch people bring collections onto our marketplace and what they think will fly off the shelves and what doesn't, right? And often mm-hmm. I'm wrong too. So it's funny, you know, I, I early on, I 
hired one of our first hires was a woman who came from merchandising and she had a ton of indie industry experience and she and I butted heads quite a bit because she had a much more traditional sense of style and mine was a much more avant-garde and you know and ultimately I think she probably has won in the end because many mm. of the things that she pointed out has been like yeah that's just too weird nobody's gonna buy it <laughs> Mm-hmm. You know, she she was right. You know, it's a harder sell on some of these things that I like. So being my background in digital marketing tells me, you know, never believe your gut, always go with the data. So just put it out there, see what happens, right? There's no harm. It's digital. Yeah. You're not having to mass manufacture it. You can put these designs up and see what people like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious. Um, you mentioned that uh, some of the misconceptions that custom-made clothing is super, super expensive. Um, Did you notice or what are some of the other kind of mindsets around custom that either in that research or since then now running Balladana um, that you've noticed people's thoughts are surrounding custom-made clothing that maybe aren't as true as, you know, they think they are? (laughs) Um, Well, then probably the number one misconception I think and that we're trying to break is that it's for it's for special occasions only. That, that particularly for women I've mm-hmm. heard. So the, the no excuses I get from women are, Oh, I'm losing weight. That's, that's kind of for anybody, right? Oh, I can't buy anything mm-hmm. now. I'm losing weight, but there's this, there's this emotionality. And I heard this actually, when I was doing some qualitative research with tailors and people who are in the business, mostly of doing custom menswear. And they all told me I was bonkers to do women's wear. So they were like, <laughs> yeah, women are too emotional. And, 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 and I was like, well, y'all are just prejudiced. Um, and, you know, it turns out there's a little bit of grain of a truth there because for women in the United States, it is, there's the emotionality of it, right? There's a lot riding on it. It has to be perfect. It has to be transformative. It has to be this princess experience, right? You know, in Cinderella, mm-hmm. when the fairy godmother comes out and swirls her magic wand and ta-da! Mm-hmm. It's because this, we, it's reinforced by everything we see on TV, you know, with the, the, the fashion shows, you know, the fashion programs and everything we've ever seen about custom is that it's part of this, uh, you know, dramatic, you know, it's not just a $150 work dress, right? It's got to mm-hmm. be something fantastic. So that is the biggest misconception. And so we've been trying to fight that. And it's hard to tell people that, hey, democratically, you can just go buy a custom t-shirt and it will fit you and you will like it. And, you know, mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. That, and maybe you won't feel as, uh, yeah. uh, as bad as much like you need to lose weight in order exactly. to feel good about yourself. That's something I see too. Of, mm-hmm. You know, somebody's like, you know, self-conscious about certain areas of their body, but then when they see something that fits, like they're smiling and they're like, wow, I look great. It's like, yeah, right? it wasn't you. It was the clothes. It's so. true. I, after I went through menopause, my body shape changed. So my ratios changed a little bit and I have a lot more around my middle now. And the first time I ever got a custom made suit from a, a European maker who cut it European style, which is very form fitting. And I put mm-hmm. it on and I was just like, oh, it doesn't fit. It's too tight. You know, and I sent her a WhatsApp and I'm like, oh no, it doesn't fit. And she was like, are you sure? It's literally perfect to your skin. I was like, well, what do you mean? And she was like, well, just wear it around because it had a silk lining, which I, you could just never find in you know, mm-hmm. a lot of the, the stuff, just almost impossible. So the silk lining gave it so much movement. She was like, just wear it around. And I noticed I wore it around like, you know, for an hour or so. And I was like, oh my God, not only did it just basically loosen up enough to just fit me perfectly, it was so comfortable. I really thought it would be uncomfortable, but it was the opposite. Mm-hmm. It kind of holds you all in the same way shapewear does, right? You know, mm-hmm. it just felt really well constructed. It was made of a nice thick brocade. And I just was like, Every time I wear it, I feel so put together and just, mm-hmm. it, it really was. And it's form fitting. It's very form fitting. So that was, that was hard for me to get used to because as the Gantt Americans, we're used to buying things sort of sloppy here, you know, mm-hmm. or loose and mm-hmm. the, you know, in case I gain 10 pounds kind of shopping. <laughs> so so yeah. that's what, the, that was the biggest myth. The second myth is that, oh, uh, measurements, they're hard. They're, I, I don't know how to do them. There's a, that was so much, not so much a myth is just an obstacle. There are a lot of women who are afraid of the measurement process, partially because they don't want to know their measurements, partially because mm-hmm. they've just literally never done it. They're afraid they're going to mess it up and then they're going to be stuck with no returns and, you know, a lot of other things. Which is funny because they they don't hold themselves for that same standard with ready to wear, you know. Mm-hmm. Again, there's a lot of, um, a lot of, 
there's a lot of forgiveness built into many clothes clothing styles today. So we we overcame that by working with our makers to ensure that they could honor a free alterations and or a complete remake of a garment. So we de-risk that piece for, for women. And we also are constantly trying to figure out easier, better, more accurate ways of measuring women's bodies. We usually send them to a tailor or, you know, we have a very detailed printout that they can use and have a friend do it. It's very easy. I literally just measured a woman yesterday and I did like uh, 40 measurements on her in about 20 minutes. It's, it's that mm -hmm. fast. It really is not that hard. Yeah. Yeah. Measuring tape and having somebody, it's really having somebody else do it. It's hard to measure yourself. I've tried that. Yeah. <laughs> it's not too easy. Certain areas definitely are, but others aren't right. So mm -hmm. now that I've got my baselines done and I've had them done by a tailor, I've had it done by technology. I've done it myself. I've had, you know, I'm constantly correcting my own data in Balladana, mm -hmm. especially as I gain or lose weight. So that I think is unique about our platform as well. Nowhere else have I ever seen. In fact, even if you go to a tailor, they don't tell your measurements. They secretly write it on an index card or so, or I put it in a computer and you're never exposed to your own data. God forbid you should realize what your actual waistline is. They, they mm -hmm. protect us from that. So we decided now nah, that we're just going to show you your data. Here you go. Here's your measurements. What do you think? <laughs> Does this look right? If not, change it. Right. Mm -hmm. So it, it giving women that ownership. I don't think most women have ever had that kind of power before. Yeah. Yeah. Because I bet that helps, you know, not just on your platform, but to be able to shop for other things in general of you know, what really is my measurements versus totally. what this product is. Yeah, that's what we tell people. You don't even have to buy our clothes. Just go in and fill out a profile. And then you'll always have your measurements at hand because everywhere you go now, size guides want to know your waistline, your hip measure, your bust measure and all of that. Mm -hmm. how, how many of us just guess based on the last time we bought a pair of jeans that had the waist number on it? And that can vary <laughs> hugely, <laughs> you know, exactly. the, the 29 waist jean, like mm -hmm. that may or may not be anywhere near 29 inches. Actually. That's true. Very true. Yeah. yeah very, very true. There's that whole sizing is not the same as the measurement in women's apparel anyway. Well, and you even know what is it's changing for men. Yeah, mm -hmm. I was going to say it's been changing for men's. That vanity sizing is affecting. There's a lot of men out there who believe their 34 inch waist jeans are actually 34 inches. Mm -hmm. and I you're in for a big surprise when you mm -hmm. actually run a tape around you. Yeah, definitely. It's been fascinating to watch women respond to their measurements. Some of them are startled. Some of them are, most of them are just, they don't know what to think. They're like, well, how mm -hmm. does that compare? Because we're so used to comparing ourselves always. The self-judging mm -hmm. is ridiculous. So it, it's we just try to be very matter-of-fact about it. This is your data, right? This is mm -hmm. your data to use as you please. Yeah, yeah. And I do think it it would be super helpful just for women to have a better understanding. Maybe, maybe not so much like the specific, you know, memorizing the specific numbers, though knowing kind of waist hip bust, you know, is helpful for looking at other size charts and stuff. Mm -hmm. But understanding the proportions too of knowing, you know, kind of ready to wear often has kind of a 10 inch difference between the waist and the hip, you know, on a lot of size charts. But like not every woman has a 10 inch difference between her waist and the hip. Some, oh, some women, yeah. it's a lot more, some women, it's a lot less. And so, yeah. you know, understanding the proportions of the body and, you know, how, oh, maybe I need to size up for a top, but I can size down for pants, mm -hmm. you know, if it's separate and things like that. Um, super helpful. Just, I know I've kind of done the same thing, but just on note cards, right. I mm -hmm. kept track of my measurements and like my sister and a few other, you know, people that I've um, consistently have made clothes for over the years and just seeing like how year to year the measurements have changed or not changed is I think fascinating. Yeah. Well, and a lot of women are afraid that they're going to, they're going to be stuck with a point in time. Like you said, it does change over time, but what mm -hmm. your arms, your arms don't get longer, you know, your, mm -hmm. your, most of your measurements do not change. Most yeah. women have a five to 10 pound swing. And as they age, they'll routinely put on five pounds per decade. You know, there's, there's just, that happens. That's mm -hmm. how our bodies are. And we may go up or down from that depending on the situation. But those, that waist hip, the, like you said, the ratios don't change dramatically. Maybe just more of our, you know, our 360s, our volumetrics, but our linear mm -hmm. stuff doesn't change a whole lot. Yeah. Yeah. That's there. 
That's true. How do you, we've talked about this a little bit, but I'm curious, like how your background in marketing and tech um, brings kind of a unique perspective to your fashion business. Like how has that given you maybe a different approach to things or um, yeah, what, what, which of those skills from your previous career um, have really benefited you in this new business? Well, certainly working on the actual technical components of, you know, the website and making this an e-commerce experience that's very sophisticated and user-friendly. That's kind of the, the first, first step. And also making it search engine friendly so I can hopefully not have to pay so much in advertising. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that was sort of step one was really, you know, getting that presence out there and making it feel like we didn't want it to feel any different from going to a Macy's.com, right? Mm -hmm. Then we ended up changing it a little bit to be a little bit more fashion centric based on some feedback. I think, you know, we, we go back and forth on our homepage a lot and I'm okay with that because we're, I have an always be testing attitude to mm -hmm. see what I can do to, to meet people in the middle. Definitely it's kind of like your store, your virtual store window, you know, yeah. like window display in the brick and mortar is always changing too. So exactly, exactly. The other part that um, I think is different from, from me and what actually takes up a fair amount of my so-called free time is connecting with fashion tech people. So when I first came into the business, before I ever even had my existing business model, when I was just trying to figure out, like, why can't I find a white shirt that doesn't gap? Right? That was literally mm -hmm. the first thing I tried <laughs> to solve. I'm like, can't I get a blouse that doesn't gap and fits my torso? And that led me to investing in uh, a New York uh, fashion person who acted as a consultant for me and took me through the garment district. And I met a bunch of people and I saw this process and I was so disconnected and weird. I'm just like, why do you guys do these things? It's so manual and ridiculous <laughs> and expensive and inefficient. Fashion is kind of old school in a lot oh of ways. Oh my God. Yeah. And so everywhere I looked, I was like, oh, this could be done with software that connects and you know a lot of this stuff could definitely be automated so um after I did that and I, I was part of that I was talking to another woman who was a uh, I won't say she worked for some very big fashion names and she was pretty nasty to me actually <laughs> I'm one of these people like who, who takes a hint and like okay you're not my people because she represented the sort of capital F fashion, you know, art mm -hmm. and the mystique and all of that. And she just could not get enthusiastic about the idea of making things for the masses, you know, even though mm -hmm. that's where the actual money is and that's where the actual need is for every person, every woman in America. And what she said to me was fashion designers don't make clothes for their mothers. They don't want to do that. Like it was just so demeaning. And I was like, but there's, there's a whole lot of moms out there and they got money. Yeah. I just don't understand why you guys are making these choices. It's goofy. Fine for your and, archers. And the but... moms are the ones that have more of the money. Yes. <laughs> and the yes. young, the young trendy people are yes. going to grow up and become their mothers. Someday. Exactly. It's literally like 90% of the population. So yeah, it's dumb. Um, so that lend kind of I stopped pursuing the fashion people and instead found my people, which are the tech people. So fashion people, mm -hmm. fashion tech people. So pattern makers like yourself, people who are invested in 3D design, people who are working on 3D body scanning, people who are working on virtual try-on, people who are creating smart factories, people who are looking at, you know, what's behind that runway and, mm -hmm. you know, the next part, all the way, the supply chain down to the minutiae. And why is it so disconnected and old fashioned? And we have these pockets of incredible innovation, but nothing talks to each other because we have these same issues of non-standard terminology and non-standard file types and things that, you know, you get it all really tightened up in one step and then you push it over to another and we're back to manual data entry again and errors mm -hmm. give it place. So it's just, we're, we're working and we're very, very close from everything I've seen out there. We're within five years of having a lot more fully connected smart factory on demand type of options for designers and makers and brands out there and for consumers as well then mm -hmm. that's that's a that's incredible because we're, we're undoing over a hundred years of manufacturing methodology mm -hmm. so true and i mean there are even few um 
in the U.S. anyway, there's more and more, but there's, it's still not the norm to do on-demand manufacturing, let alone made to measure. Like you've kind of tackled two big things. Yeah. It's like on-demand doing one at a time can be like, it can be done, but it can be, it's generally more expensive because there isn't kind of the smooth technology automation behind it yet in most cases. Yeah. Um, it is very manual when it's a one-off and it, it is almost bespoke when often when you're making one at a time um, for a lot of um, a lot of people's processes and then the made to measure too like there's the additional you know fit component and getting measurements and mm-hmm. um, pattern making side even before the manufacturing part of it that yeah is 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 still not the standard in the industry. And so you've yeah. kind of tackled both. But um, I may be crazy and I certainly don't have a, a deep pocketbook to fund it all, but I'm seeing it. I'm seeing a lot of hope out there. And as a matter of fact, there's, um, if you're familiar with Carhartt, the brand, mm-hmm. they've done some investments and took a 15% stake in DXM technologies, which is um, kind of a, I wouldn't call them a PLM system. They call themselves an ecosystem and they're manufacturing on demand and software as a service. So you have to buy their SaaS before you get their mass, but they have been in stealth for a couple of years and say that they're working with some very big brands, including Carhartt, of course. And Carhartt has stated its goals that while they don't see on demand and custom being, you know, a hundred percent, their goal is to get 10% of their overall manufacturing into an on-demand model. Because what that does for them is allows them to have a more diverse mm-hmm. colorways, for example. So they can do short runs on color colorways. So they don't have to make 10,000 hot pink shirts and hope to God that everybody likes hot pink this year, <laughs> right? So It seems like they do, but <laughs> <that's> <laughs> <again>. <laughs> well, they're not there yet, but they will, right? So, I mean, I think yeah. that's a pretty realistic goal. I think if everyone said, look, can we move? 10% of our making into an on-demand model, whether that's highly customized or not, whether it's customized for colorway or, you know, a garment element or sizing, can mm-hmm. you do that? And would that help? Certainly it helps in terms of cutting your waste and addressing sustainability goals, but it also helps you to be more experimental with your style base, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's huge because, like, yeah, you're you can experiment with new styles and you can do the more avant-garde. Like, it's almost you can be more, you know, uppercase fashionable uh, when you don't have to risk all the time and finances to to buy ten thousand of something, you know, and yes. hope you sell it. Like, yeah. you can make one or ten or one hundred and of those more avant-garde pieces, and it if that's the only people that buy them then fine but like you you've kind of captured a new customer or you're able to almost be more creative because you have that it's less risky to do something more different instead of just doing the same whatever that everybody else is making that year agreed agreed and i I think that's a worthy goal for any brand it's funny Mm -hmm. that it parallels in marketing there's a an old standard in marketing is that you should always allocate 10 percent of your marketing budget into experimental stuff and that 10 percent may yield a complete loss in some years but typically Mm -hmm. what happens is that out of all the things you try one of them is going to be a hit so if you think of it as like your r d investment so Mm -hmm. if you're if you can justify the expenditure of on-demand and you mentioned cost earlier. It's more expensive. Well, it doesn't have to be. It's only expensive because of what you're trying to overcome right now. And right. Because it's we, just like the the automation and the workflow and the technology is not in place to do it as efficiently yet. Correct. Yeah. Right. So if we get all that in order and if companies think about this in in their business model in a slightly different way, then it becomes a much more approachable way of doing things and especially when you're um, able to bring things near shore right or or mm-hmm. onshore so for example plenary is a, a company that's about to launch an incubator in january here in illinois and in kankakee of all places so they're betting that this micro factory model is is a winner and they're not the first who mm-hmm. tried this in the u.s there's one up in new york right now that another group has put together with gerber electra and 
3D Look and some others, and they're they're making clothes on demand up there. So it's still in its early stages, but you know these are just the beginning. Plenary has very aggressive growth goals to drop. Oh, I think they're after a hundred micro factories across the U.S. So they really want mm-hmm. to invest in nearshoring for many reasons. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, as we as we saw in the recent pandemic, it illustrated <laughs> quite clearly that we have some issues in terms of being able to satisfy even fundamental safety equipment stuff here. Right? There just mm-hmm. there there wasn't even enough you know, surgical fabric to make surgical gowns because all of that comes from overseas and there was only a certain amount produced and we had no access to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like the whole supply chain and having things closer to the end consumer and the materials supplier is that drastically reduces the cost and the lead time. Totally, totally. Well, and once you, once you, and and I, by the way, I am not, I am not a believer that everything has to be made in America. I love having a diverse set of designers. I'm super happy we just signed two American makers, and nothing makes me gladder than to say, look, we have America. Because people will ask me, they're like, why don't you have any American designers? And I'm like, well, because they typically drop out. They don't find ultimately an economic return for themselves, or they move on to other things, or you know, they just. It's just so much easier for them to draw a sketch and send it to China and then Mm -hmm. not not worry their pretty little head about anything else, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, I think some of it is the, the, like there's certain fabrics or machinery or skill sets that are kind of regional in certain parts of the world. And in the U.S. doesn't have as much of that, you know, on on the technical side or on the material side as some other countries. But I think a lot of it is coming back and like there's more interest in developing that in the U.S. and and building those skills up so that we we are able to produce here. Thank God. I'm happy about that. I mean, one of the main reasons why I wanted to work with Eastern Europe so much is that when I was traveling over there, I was so entranced with their designs and the quality of stuff. And it's all very reasonable. I'm like, why, why don't we have these styles here in America? All of our style, the European styles are just nowhere near what's available on our shelves. And mm-hmm. so I do believe in being able to tap into a global supply chain, both for the reason mm-hmm. you state, which is regional styles, regional skills, the beating out of India. Oh, my mm-hmm. God, these incredible hand finishes and things. There are long lost skills that are definitely not laying around in the middle of Kansas anywhere. Right. <laughs> so mm-hmm. these are our wonderful things that we always want to be able to incorporate wherever we can. So I think a, a balanced model of tapping the best of the best is, is one I strive for. Gotcha. Yeah, that's great. Um, so can you walk us through kind of as a customer, what is it like? What's the experience like ordering a custom-made piece on Paladino? Well, hopefully it goes like this. You go onto our website, you scroll through our catalog, which we have a, anywhere from three to 800 styles represented at any given time. But many of those oh, wow. can be customized, you know, extensively. So um, if you get into suiting, for example, we don't show all of the potential suit configurations that are, it would literally eat up everything in our database. It's just <laughs> about thousands and thousands of iterations, but mm-hmm. you, you shop and you find something you like, and then you throw it in a shopping cart. And as you check out, you'll be asked for your measurements. If you don't have them, you can still check out and then come back and fill in your profile. Your profile will, when you check out, we only ask for the minimum measurements that you, we need for that particular garment or garments if you buy multiples. And mm-hmm. so we'll, we'll want you to build out your profile over time. Other folks just jump head first. They get all their measurements. They fill in their profile. Then they go shopping. And when you check out, it's just normal. Then what happens is the orders are sent to the individual makers. And you have com- direct communication to them if you want something to be altered or, you know, like, hey, can you change the sleeve length? Or you, you have, I thought it was important for me to, to make sure that people had a sense of who the humans were on the other side of that supply chain. Mm. And mm. I love being able to have direct access to talk with them about fit components or, or finishes. And, you know, I, it makes it more human to me. It makes it a more yeah. personal experience. So they have that access if they want to, or if they don't want to, and then the makers will build it and ship it directly from wherever they are. Typically it takes between two and three weeks, depending on the garment and depending on, um, on the maker. If something's truly bespoke, like, like from scratch, which is not very often that we do that, 
um, then that's going to be a little bit longer depending on the complexity of the garment. But most of mm -hmm. our stuff are working off existing patterns. So what you see has already been prototyped and tested and can be uh, done in any body configuration. Gotcha. Yeah, so that's like pretty, it sounds pretty simple, like taking the measurements it sounds like and then deciding it what really piece is. you want from all yeah. the options sounds like the <laughs> hardest part. It is. And I think some people get overwhelmed with that because we're not, we're not used to having that much choice. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like standing in the peanut butter aisle and there's like 70 versions of peanut butter and you're just like, I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I stand there reading all the backs and then sometimes you just walk away because it's too much. The paradox mm -hmm. of choice. <laughs> yeah. And I, I wonder, this is just like off the top of my head. I'm now, I'm now wondering, like, I want maybe part of that you know, we're not used to that choice. And then to be able to pick out clothes that we like is difficult because we aren't generally women aren't. Um, and I'm sure some men too are not, we're not familiar with our measurements or our body or the way things are, you know, the way things fit us and we and haven't analyzed like why we like certain styles or don't and not knowing you know generally not knowing your measurements it may be hard to know oh in general I like a long sleeve instead of a three-quarter or you know a scoop neck versus a uh, you know jewel neckline or something like that True. that I wonder like as as you're getting people more comfortable with being in control of their measurements and having that data available to them if then they're more comfortable with making decisions about design and clothing based on that it, it is really fun watching women build their muscles you know they'll might they might start off with uh, something that's just off the shelf basically in terms of the block right so mm -hmm. this they might choose a color but but they're not going to mess around with things too much um we our primary customer is actually over 35 and many of them over 40 so women in that age group typically do know we've made enough expensive mistakes in our life mm -hmm. to know what looks best enough you know honest mm -hmm. so we have a general idea but if it's something we don't buy all the time yeah then we make it stuck in a rut we don't really try new things but it is really fun watching women get comfortable with this especially if they've been challenged by traditional fashion options um mm -hmm. i have one customer and she has some really um, challenging proportions to work with. And we finally got it right. It took us, it took us honestly, it took us four attempts to get the perfect tunic fitted shirt for her, like exactly mm -hmm. what she wanted with the, the fabric and everything. And she was really patient, bless her. It doesn't usually take this long, by the way, but mm -hmm. in her case, we did, we really just wanted to get this right. And now that we've got it right, she's like, okay, I'm so happy. This is just awesome. Now I want to try this. Okay, let's go for a quarter, you know, three quarter sleeve. Now let's do different colors. Now let's try it with darts. Let's do it without darts. Let's do it with this mm -hmm. color. You know, so there, once you get confident that you've, you've figured out the process, it is really exciting to watch women grow and mature in this and take, take more control and more power in the equation and feel comfortable asking for things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. And I, I've done that even just like for myself or for my sister, like over the years, kind of have those blocks of like, okay, we've perfected the fit of you know what we like for a pair of pants or yep. what we like for a t-shirt. And so then, yeah, you get to be, it, the process is so much quicker. Like now I want a v-neck one, you know, <laughs> like just change that, but you can still mm -hmm. keep the overall fit of the first one. Exactly. Yeah. I, I think it's, I, I'm spoiled. I have a, I get really frustrated now when I go into a traditional shopping experience. I just, I get defeated before I even put something on. You know, I'm just like, me too. Uh. Me too. <laughs> yeah. It's so, just, it's so hard. Yeah. It's like once you've been spoiled on something custom and if you like know enough about clothing to be like, this is what I would change about this, mm -hmm. then it's really hard. Like, I, I almost don't bother because I'm like, I'd rather spend my time making a pattern sewing than like going shopping and then having to alter something. It's true. It's really true. I, I found that. Now, I, you know, there are some things that I think are, are truly delightful in, in fashion, but I have, I guess, what I don't think is a challenging body, but apparently most people in fashion do. Um, and mm -hmm. I have what's called a mid-size body. 
So there are some things that, you know, that I want to be able to buy off the rack that are just fun and totally out there, especially artisan made, you know, a lot of these Mm -hmm. upcycled things that have a lot of cool style to them that Mm -hmm. truly are like wearing a work of art. But again, even in the handmade stuff, because it's, it's already finished at that point, I'm, I'm not able to participate. So that's a little frustrating. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is like, being able to do custom you're able to make it whatever size and proportions you want yeah yeah I do feel by the way that the mid-size people talk about this I'm like why why aren't we addressed when I mm-hmm. you know after like I said when I was 2017 is when I was just was so frustrated by the way that was 20 pounds lighter than I am now <laughs> and I couldn't find clothes to fit and I was wearing like I think I had gone from like a 6'8 to an 810 which is not a thing that shouldn't be a challenge in retail mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. yeah that's literally... still like medium right exactly or at least I thought it was but it wasn't and because the proportions are established a little bit differently and mm-hmm. so I was really really frustrated and I remember at one point just like going into Lane Bryant and thinking well okay maybe I need to go buy plus size clothes now I guess so I went in there and they couldn't serve me they're like no we only serve these sizes so it was mm-hmm. I'm like I'll bet you there's a whole lot of women out there like me that are in this mid range between eight and 14 that have a really hard time finding clothes that are proportioned for mm-hmm. our bodies that aren't really frumpy. Yeah. Well, from a pattern maker perspective, I feel like the worst fitting sizes are generally the top of the like Missy size range. So kind of the 12 to 16, um, oh. Because no, you're not wrong. Um, Because it, you know, when you're grading a pattern, you'd normally, you know, fit and and test the middle size, and then you grade up and down whatever sizes in the range you're doing from there. Mm -hmm. And then often for plus sizes, you're fitting again in maybe like a 22 or 24, um, like 2x or 3x, and then going up and down from there. So you kind of have two base sizes that you're going Mm -hmm. up and down. Okay. Um, that are keeping the same proportions within uh, each of those ranges. But the the thing is, and so the fit is wor- the worst, you know, because you've perfected it in the middle size. So the fit is then worst in the very smallest and the very biggest of each of those ranges. Um, I mean, the goal is to have it fit well on, you know, all of them. But the... And it's and it's easier to fit, I think, or it's more forgiving to fit a really tiny body because they're more flat. There's less curves to deal with. Yeah, that's um, true. So it's easier, I think, to go down, to grade down and get the fit right than grading up. Once you get to the, the ends of that range, you haven't changed the proportions. You've just changed the size. However, the body has changed proportion because it's kind of moving towards that other size range where you can Mm -hmm. break it off and change the proportions of the pattern itself so yeah that's where I see the and there's more variations between how brands grade their sizing especially in that kind of transition from you know your kind of missy sizing to your women's or plus sizing um it's very so much from brand to brand. So there's also like the confusion of a, I wear a 12 in this brand, I wear a 16 in yeah. this brand. And, you know, like who knows what size it is. Not um, so yeah, I can, I, you're not wrong. I think there is some, <laughs> there is actual reasons why I agree with you that that is correct. That it is, I think the hardest to find well-fitting clothing in kind of that mid, like not plus yet, but upper range of non-plus. Well, what we're trying to figure out now, and I'm in the middle of an experiment with a group of people from around the world who are, we we didn't, we're we're in the middle of an experiment. We started out here in Chicago. We measured 12 women with body scanning and manual measurements. Now we're attempting to make pants. So (laughs) for- (laughs) And those are like the hardest thing. Yes, right? We are like, okay, pick something that is hard, but also, you know, it's mostly- linear you know you have you have some some challenging circumferences like waist and some of the the more those are believe it or not waist is such such a controversial thing right there's 
literally eight different wastes that are out there, according to the IEEE, who've been working on this for years now, trying to figure out where your waste is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we have some members from IEEE working with some other folks, and we are trying to connect the dots at the data level into these various systems. And the goal is actually to make essentially some kind of elasticity in the pattern, in the electronic pattern that would react to the proportions that are coming out of a body scan. So Mm. I don't know, it's hard, right? Right now we've got literally 48 patterns. So um, the guy who's doing the pattern portion, he's an an academic out of um, Manchester and he's going to do, he's using JBlock, which is an open source um, pattern database it's a library i suppose and he's they've already they've he and his students have been working for a while to kind of crack these open and and make them more useful and they've been working on their own version of them for several years now so we're putting them through the test now to see to put in 48 different measurements because for 12 people we've got four different body scanner data sources and pushing Mm -hmm. and and by the way all four of those dead body scanning use different labels for every part of the body that you can imagine and and their measurements of them so even even in technology where we should be striving for a standard set of data types um the metas are just not yeah it's a mess so we're going to push those through make 48 different patterns and then from there create 48 pairs of pants and then put them on the 12 women and see what the output is well, yeah, that sounds fascinating. I'd love to see <laughs> how how the results of that because like technology and fit and, and fashion are things that I'm super interested in too. And I've been diving into just like blocks and grading and sizing a lot recently. And it's fascinating just like the the science and in kind of the math behind fit. Yeah. Um, well, and the bulk of clothes aren't using dramatically different blocks. I mean, there really should be a universal open source library. Mm -hmm. I mean, there is sort of, you know, and you can buy blocks off the shelf and there's a lot of people who are, are kind of have been poking around that for years, but for whatever reason, people just want to start over or use whatever is comfortable because, Oh, this is something that I made and, you know, it's in my Mm -hmm. technology. And so there's a, a lot of resistance to creating standardization in comp- at the component level or even the the meta level. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting we're talking about like standardization while also cu- talking about customization. <laughs> um, well, well, yeah, but like to me, I don't think, and I, I realize very quickly, I'm not going to change a brand from. I'm never going to convince them to not use their own brand standard for sizing, right? If, mm-hmm. if it's going to be a Michael Kors size four, then I'm not going to talk them out of that by saying that they need to use a different person's size four, right? I know mm-hmm. that. But what we can do is standardize at the component level, right? We can standardize what we call the, you know, the high shoulder point to bust measurement. We can mm-hmm. standardize the unit of measures that we use, centimeters or inches, right? We can standardize a lot of things about how we transfer these files around and, and how mm-hmm. they're utilized. So right now you can pull a body scan into some 3D software, but you may not realize it, but it's probably going to be changing a few things in the import and you won't even know it, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Based on what it thinks a body looks like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so if we can standardize at the at this micro level, all of the little building, th- think of it in like a manufacturing, right? So if we didn't have standard screws, mm-hmm. imagine how many screwdrivers you would have to own and yeah. how many different sized holes and how would you, you would just, oh my God, you know, that would be mm-hmm. such a nightmare if we didn't have that kind of thing standardized that a yeah. three-quarter inch nut is always going to be a three-quarter inch nut. Mm-hmm. So it, it, until we got those things to work, we could not create the, the industrial revolution couldn't happen. Yeah. So it's like standardizing the components so that you can be more creative with the actual product you're building. Exactly. The yeah, yes. That makes sense. Focus where, where it's more fun, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. 
So I mean, we talked a little, little bit about the customer journey of buying a piece, but I'm also curious about like, how does it work as the designer? So your your platform is the marketplace between the designer and the, the customer. So what is it like for the relationship with, between you and the designers? Like, how does that happen? What's it like for on their end? On their end, it would be like being on Etsy or Amazon um, in terms of how they physically onboard their stuff. Although we do, uh, we do actually give them a lot more service than most other marketplaces. So for example, because many of them are English as a second language or haven't really done a, a good job of creating descriptions and things that are entrance, you know, are, are interesting and also search engine optimized, right? So mm -hmm. we'll we'll mm -hmm. often rewrite their copy for them to help them really just make a better connection with our customers. We will help them, you know, onboard their stuff and make decisions around how to merchandise that. Many of them are small businesses, so they don't always, even if they already have a store on Etsy, they're not really they're not necessarily thinking through how to scale and how to best address, you know, an American buyer. So we become that sort of voice of the American buyer for them. We also are very hands-on with customers as far as the customer service element and adding, you know, any counsel and you know, as much as customers want us to be hands-on, we will, like we will literally be, you know, sending WhatsApp messages to check in and provide additional inputs and, and arrange um, meetings. So we, we are, I guess, probably like a reseller for many of these folks. If you think about a standard manufacturing relationship that we'd be like a reseller who's out there being customer facing. But additionally, we're, we're bringing new ideas and passion and markets. We go out and do physical marketplaces, pop-up marketplaces around Chicago and trunk shows. We can even do a private trunk show in your home. There's a lot of things that we do that your average artisan market would not do for you, right? Or yeah. online, online marketplace would do for you. Yeah, so we, we like do, it. yeah, we do charge a little higher than Etsy and Amazon for our commission, but you don't have to pay a listing fee, right? So both of those charge you a per item listing fee. We don't do that. You could put in five or 5,000. We don't care. Gotcha. Yeah, that's kind of nice. Again, like you were saying, to test see which styles do well and see what which ones don't. You're only having to pay the commission on the ones that are making money and doing well. Exactly. Yeah. We, we don't want you to have a penalty for being creative and coming up with new things to try. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's nice. Um, so we talked a lot about technology too, and I know we've chatted a little bit about this before this podcast, but um, I think listeners would be curious to know what technologies are you most excited about that are kind of in development or on the horizon? I, you know, one of the people that we work with in this, in this scanning thing, there's two scanning technologies that were both born right here in Chicago at Chicago's funny. They're both doing their master's program at Booth School and they knew of each other, but they never collaborated before this experiment. <laughs> And they're both pretty awesome. One of them is a woman-owned business um, called True to Form, or excuse me, True to Fit. And mm -hmm. they are, are really focusing on making this accurate and specifically for clothing, not just looking at this from a, like, a, I think a lot of the body scanners out there are a little bit more general and they didn't mm -hmm. start out making it for fashion. So they're 100% focused around the garment process. And secondarily, another one called AI Mirror, they are, theirs uses a video capture technology to record like a little loop of you spinning. And mm -hmm. they're focused in the virtual try-on experience at the same time, accurately pulling out your measures. So our hope with them in partnering with them is to be able to so I don't love avatars, right? Avatars are to me ugly and they don't sell me clothes, but they're <laughs> necessary for a pattern maker. They need to just see you reduced to a mesh, right? But mm -hmm. on the customer's side, I just love this idea of being able to sort of map the clothes. They don't have to be perfect. Just map them, like you said, so I can see generally speaking, whether it's going to be flattering in a three quarter or a full slave, right? 
mm-hmm. um, just map it on my body and you get the movement of this actual video capture. So the, the overlay is kind of low res and I'm all right with that because to me, it more accurately mirrors how I do things in a store, which is to hold it up, you know, on the hanger in front mm-hmm. of a mirror and just kind of do a quickie gauge right before Mm -hmm. you know going into the dressing room and trying things on so I don't necessarily want to have to load a fat file onto an avatar that's you know maybe resembles me but maybe not maybe it's in that uncanny valley and then Mm -hmm. I'm having to (laughs) manually rotate it around and then I'm zooming in and judging my thighs like I don't I don't want that I don't please don't recreate that because I do that every time I shop so (laughs) (laughs) Mm-hmm. I love their idea uh, and I hope they stick with it, which is just to capture that video loop of you spinning around and then you just throw these items on them doop, 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 and you're, it's just, it's a more natural way, I think, of representing clothes in a try on experience. I think too often we've gone overboard trying to perfect the process and we've just added almost too much, too much room, too much in the customer experience on the back end. We haven't invested enough in this. So happy. Mm. I'm really excited about them. We also partner pretty deeply Baladana does with 3d look and they've been at this for years and they're probably right now have a, a pretty good market share of the custom clothing makers out there because their technology is very um, hands-off in terms of it just does two snapshots of you front and side and it'll extract your measurements from there and so I think they've gotten better and better over the years and while it's still not perfect it's it's a whole lot better than it was even when we started working with them three years ago wow yeah those all sound really exciting and and your point about uh not being so caught up in making it 100 realistic if that's not really the best thing that's going to showcase what you want to show, which is really, does this fit or not? Yeah. Yeah. And I should also do a shout out for plenary. I mentioned them earlier. So they have a tech pack maker that's still in stealth. Um, so and if anybody you have, I, I assume you have a bunch of pattern makers and, and people who get hands on with their own tech packs. Mm-hmm. So this is going to be a tech pack maker and they are looking for people to beta test their products. So if you Anybody wants Good details on that, they can hit me up and can catch me at Dana.Todd at Baladana or just hit me up on Instagram. Sounds good. Yeah, I'll include links to all those in the show notes as well so people can click through. Great. Um, so a few more questions. I'm curious, what has been um, the biggest challenge so far in running Baladana? Well, I'm bootstrapped, so I don't have millions of dollars. So making (laughs) sure that I'm going to be there, you know, for the long run, that's, that's an ongoing threat. Uh, The pandemic certainly was a substantial hit for a small business who was just starting Mm -hmm. to get traction. So that's been, honestly, the pandemic was the biggest obstacle, not just because of supply chain issues, but, you know, because it literally hit the entire globe. There was, even though I have 12 countries represented, one by one, they all fell. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like, oh my God, no. Um, and then secondarily, people just weren't wearing nice clothes for a couple of years. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that's been our biggest challenge. But I'm so delighted to see coming out of the pandemic now, we are starting to see those green shoots and people are like, oh, I really want clothes. And now they, they haven't completely lost their habit of sh- online shopping. Mm -hmm. but they are looking to get more out of that experience and they are looking to go to weddings and things again and nice parties and back to the office. And so that's, I'm heartened because we, uh, we're going to be here for it. Yeah. That's nice. You kind of got the the best of, um, at the moment of people want to go back out, but they still want to shop online. So, yep, exactly. Um, so what's next for Belladina? Well, for us, the next piece is integrating the the digital measurement portion of it into our shopping cart. So we've been a little reticent to go whole hog on that until the accuracy improved, but uh, I think we're ready for that. And then, as I said, just continuing to expand, um, bringing in more makers. And I'm, I'm always on the lookout for high quality makers. So happy to find, like I said, we just, um, Brought in Nichka from Chicago and also another company called This One Dress, which is their base in Ohio. But yeah, they're going to be manufacturing in Chicago. So we're pretty excited about that. So I'm 
I'm thrilled that Chicago is starting to play and the Midwest in general is starting to take a lead role in, in this. And we hope to see mm-hmm. more of that. And I know yeah. that the plenary we're also participating in some discussions with politicians about tapping into some of the money that's coming through the government, through the recently um, signed bills that are part of it is beefing up manufacturing here. And so, like you said, if we, if we can build up that, you know, the, the local base and train people to do more than just sewing, but to do all the components um, of a highly tech driven, highly efficient American style manufacturing, then we have a really good shot of changing the way things are done. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm just going to keep meddling. I'm just going to keep <laughs> meddling in all the corners and talking to all the people and trying to put the pieces together because it's a big puzzle. Yeah, yeah, that's exciting though. Um, so cool. Um, so I have one last question that I ask everyone at the end of the interview, which is if you could communicate one value to the world through the clothes, I guess in your case, that... Um, you sell on Belladonna, what would it be? That you're perfect exactly who you, the way you are, and that you mm. deserve to wear pretty things all the time that fit well. <laughs> yeah, we yeah. accept yourself, love yourself, and don't, don't, don't let retail tell you what you can and cannot wear. Mm-hmm. So true. That's awesome. Well, this has been uh, so fun to talk to you, Dana, and get to know a little bit about more about you and Balladana. Where can uh, people find more about you and the brand online? Well, for sure, hit our website. It's B-A-L-O-D-A-N-A.com, Balladana. Um, you can also find us on Instagram and Facebook. We don't have TikTok yet, sadly. <laughs> I mean, we have the domain, but I have yet to create a video. So maybe soon. <laughs> Those are the primary places. If you're in the Chicago area, you're welcome to stop by and take a look at some of the designer samples that we have out here in Forest Park or catch us at any of the, the local artisan shows um, that are going down. We're doing one in Fulton Market in October. I will put links to everything in the show notes. And thanks again for joining me today. This has been great. Thanks so much for for having me on the show and for teaching people about custom. Thanks so much for what you do. Oh, thanks. It's fun. I love it. (laughs) That's all for today. Thanks for listening. I'm Allison Haynes, and I hope you join me again for the next episode of How Fitting.